the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that it's Friday. You know, you have a short week when there's a holiday and then you have to work a full week. I think you should have uh, the opportunity to gradually work up to a full week, uh, maybe four and a half days, three and a quarter days, something anyway. It's Friday. Glad that's the case. And on Fridays, we tend to look at the lighter side of the news, and we will do just that shortly. But I do want to give you a few of the headlines to consider, things that have developed in the course of the day. Beginning with a, um, a conflict going on within the Democratic Party with, uh, I should say, the House for the most part. A growing number of Democrats are backing Nancy Pelosi and her feud with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The differences between House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the representative have gone public and grown uglier by the day since last weekend and the rift between the far left and central wings of the uh, Democrat Party have been laid bare for all to see. However, on Thursday, it appeared Ocasio-Cortez's suggestion that the speaker was singling out her and her progressive colleagues uh, because of their race was startling, uh, starting rather to backfire. Well, public support among Democrats appeared to swing in Pelosi's favor. Representative William Lacey Clay slammed AOC's suggestion as inappropriate and weak. It tells you the level of ignorance to American history on their part. As to what we are as Democratic caucus, he told uh, media, Clay urges the uh, four freshman members of Congress to allow themselves to mature and learn how to be effective legislators. Clay wasn't the only one to attack Ocasio-Cortez today. The View hosts Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg criticized her decision to attack Democrats like Pelosi. Meanwhile, Representative uh, uh, Pamela Jayapal and a Congressional Progressive Caucus co-chair said that she could relate to Ocasio-Cortez and told The Hill that she's requesting a meeting with Pelosi. Several Democrats are worried that Pelosi-AOC, the feud, is an unnecessary distraction from the 2020 presidential election and is only helping the president, President Trump. Meanwhile, Fox News' Sean Hannity made an offer to AOC that uh, he hopes she finds too tempting to refuse. It would be something for her to appear on Fox News Channel as so many Democrats have declined. Well, insisting that he was not backing down from an effort to determine the number of illegal immigrants in the United States, President Trump yesterday announced that he would immediately issue an executive order to get an accurate count of both citizens and non-citizens. The executive order would not force the citizenship question on the 2020 census. Instead, the president said it would make use of vast federal databases and free up information shared among all federal agencies concerning who they know is living in the country. Well, many Democrats promptly characterized the president's move as a retreat and um, condemned uh, that. Um, In any event, it uh, it appears to be moving forward and uh, we'll see what uh, uh, what happens uh, in the uh, fall in the move in that direction. Meanwhile, wind and rain started to lash Louisiana's Gulf Coast early Friday as residents prepared for 
What's expected to be the area's first hurricane of the season? President Trump declared a state of emergency in Louisiana Thursday evening, authorizing federal disaster relief efforts for Tropical Storm Barry. A hurricane warning was in effect along the Louisiana coast, and forecasters said the storm could make landfall as a hurricane by early Saturday. The storm's rains are expected to pose a severe test of New Orleans' improved post-Katrina flood defenses. The area is forecast to bring more than a foot and a half of rain to parts of the state as it moves slowly inland. And R. Kelly, the hit-making R&B singer who's been uh, dogged by sex abuse allegations for more than a decade, was arrested uh, yesterday on child pornography and other charges in Chicago. He's expected to be brought to uh, New York, according to reports. Kelly, 52, was arrested on 13 counts of federal indictment, which included child pornography, enticement of a minor, and obstruction of justice charges. An assistant U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois told the New York Times. New York's um, WNBC-TV reported that more details on the federal charges are expected. Kelly was uh, reportedly arrested in New York um, Police Department detectives and Department of Homeland Security or by uh, these agents along with um, NYPD. Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta, Acosta resigned Friday among growing backlash over his handling of the 20th, or rather 2008 sex abuse prosecution of billionaire Jeffrey Epstein, according to the National Review, because the whole power of the uh, media is uh, focused on Trump, the administration. There has to be a lot of falling on the sword, and that's precisely what he did today. And the House Judiciary Committee voted along party lines Thursday to authorize subpoenas for documents and testimony from a dozen current and former Trump administration officials and associates related to the panel's investigation into alleged obstruction of justice by President Trump. The committee also voted to authorize subpoenas for documents and testimony related to the Trump administration's immigration policies amid massive outrage by Democrats over conditions and detention facilities at the southern border. Of course, those are under the jurisdiction of Congress, but they have failed to act thus far. Well, the federal government spent a record $3 trillion in the first nine months of fiscal year 2019. That's October through June, according to the monthly Treasury statement released today. Prior to this fiscal year, the most the federal government has ever spent in the October through June period was the fiscal 2018 when the Treasury doled out three, let's see, uh, $3 trillion, $199 billion, $795,700,000 in um, constant June 2019 dollars. So the spending continues to go up. A report by The Hill. uh, In that report, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey made a U-turn yesterday, a little more than a week after pulling state incentives from the Nike Corporation following its decision to pull its Betsy Ross flag shoes after former NFL star Colin Kaepernick raised issues around them. Ducey remarked that Arizona is open for business and we welcome Nike to our state. Uh, We suppose money talks. And a House Judiciary Committee hearing with former special counsel Robert Mueller, who investigated uh, possible obstruction of justice by President Trump, has been delayed by a week until the 24th of July, according to a person uh, in that circle. The two hours of time originally allotted for questioning had been a point of contention within the Democratic caucus because it risked preventing some members from asking questions. And a shipment of a Russian-made military-style missile arrived in Ankara, Turkey, on Friday, which could cause tension with the United States after the Defense Department said that sanctions could be issued if they accept the weapons shipment. 
which it appears they intend to. On this day in 1984, Democratic presidential candidate Walter Mondale announces he has chosen U.S. Representative Geraldine Ferraro of New York to be his running mate, making Ferraro the first woman to run for vice president on a major party ticket. On this day in 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signs a bill authorizing the Army Medal of Honor. On this day in 1909, the House of Representatives joins the Senate in passing the 16th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, allowing for a federal income tax and submits it to the states. It would be declared ratified in February of 1913. Again, uh, submitted 1909. Ratified 1913. And on this day in 1960, the Etch-A-Sketch magic screen drawing toy invented by French electrician André something is first produced uh, by the Ohio Art Company. And finally, on this day in 2003, the USS Ronald Reagan, the first carrier named for a living president, is commissioned in Norfolk, Virginia. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break when we come back. Just a couple of things and we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 19 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Well, as Tropical Storm Barry continues to barrel toward the Louisiana coast, flooding and rainfall are increasingly becoming a concern, especially for the city of New Orleans, which is more vulnerable during severe weather events. Barry is forecast to dump 10 to 20 inches of rain on New Orleans through Sunday. Some isolated areas could see as much as 25 inches. But why is this historic city more prone to flooding than other areas of the state? Well, you might recall back uh, with the previous hurricane that exposed its weakness and that of the levee. New Orleans is particularly vulnerable vulnerable to flooding because it's because of its low elevation, according to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Only about half of the city is above sea level, a drop from what once was 100 percent per the Atlantic, which cited human interference as a primary reason for why the city was sunk. A 2016 NASA study also said that natural geologic factors played a part. When New Orleans was being constructed, they ran out of good land. To make more room, engineers drained swamp land around the area so that they could continue expansion. This drainage led to subsist, um, subsidence, um, uh, according to the Eau Claire um, university noting subs- um, subsistence is sinking or settling to a lower level. In this case, it was the Earth's surface sinking lower in relation to sea level. Well, even some of the city's first settlers, primarily in New Orleans, French Quarter, in the original part of the city, knew to build their homes on elevated land. Those with the means and resources built homes in prime real estate or on lots uh, roughly 10 feet above sea levels, according to the uh, U.S. Federal Emergency Management Agency, writing in the history of building elevation in New Orleans. But not everyone was that fortunate. Even during its very beginning, New Orleans residents understood the value of land elevated above flood-prone land uh, that they had chosen to call home. Well, in 1719, the first levee was built in New Orleans, the first of many along the Mississippi. Those who constructed it were aware of the supreme importance of elevated or at least protected ground in the city. But the construction of levees would later contribute to uh, this sinking, if you will. Well, the city is situated between the levees along the Mississippi River and those around Lake Pontchartrain. Uh, this, according to the University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire, creates a bowl effect uh, in the city, especially uh, once the water gets in, it's hard to get it out. Well, New Orleans is also prone to flooding because the city is um, susceptible to storm surges or the abnormal rise of seawater level during a storm, according to the National Ocean Service. Well, it's measured by how high the water reaches from the normal astronomical 
tide. Well, the uh, wetlands and barrier islands serve as natural defenses against storm surges. In fact, for more uh, for every mile of contentious wetlands, a storm surge can be reduced by three to eight inches per the university. Wetlands are naturally replenished every year by sediment from the flood uh, flooding river. Uh, if these areas are undisturbed, the university added, but wetlands and barrier uh, islands near New Orleans have been disappearing at an incredible rate due to human interference. And, of course, that uh, means that they're more vulnerable. Da- uh, dams upriver from the city have caused the amount of sediment in the river to be reduced by up to 67 percent, according to the university. Along with that, the levees built around New Orleans to protect it uh, uh, now divert the river's flow much further uh, out into the Gulf of Mexico, meaning that much of the rem- Remaining sediment is washed out to sea and not deposited in either the wetlands or the barrier islands. Well, these factors are uh, denying nature's best defenses, their replenishment and causing them to disappear. And, of course, now making this area more vulnerable. In fact, every hour and a half, Louisiana loses about a football field's worth of land, according to The New Yorker. So do keep our neighbors uh, in your prayers as they're not really altogether sure how all of this is going to hold up in this first challenge since the last a failure of the levee system uh, in that area. Well, that pretty much covers the serious news that we wanted to uh, cover today. And be, this being Friday, we try to look at the lighter side of the news, things we wouldn't t- uh, typically have the opportunity to cover uh, during the uh, very busy news week. So here we go, putting on the, uh, the hat that's a little bit lighter than the one we wear during the week. Well, one story that really struck my attention was one in which, well, a group of T-Rexes were racing one another. On your mark... Get set, and then there was a roar. Well, at first glance, the starting gate at Emerald Downs racetrack looked pretty normal. But then the gates opened and the race began. And instead of thoroughbreds, a mass of people burst forth, running as fast as they could while wearing oversized T-Rex costumes. Now, my guess is you've had an opportunity to see these costumes, and they're pretty comical to see in the first place. But to see a good number of them racing in this formal setting. Well, that was pretty comical as well. Well, the T-Rexes stand at the ready and the T-Rexes are away, said the track announcer. Uh, It was hilarious. Chaos breaks out because it's not altogether easy to see in these costumes, let alone run. At the wire, a dino named Regular Unleaded took the victory, holding off Rex's girlfriend by a tail. The sight of fierce-looking dinosaurs bobbing uh, down the groomed dirt racetrack has quickly become a fan favorite at Emerald Downs, which is owned and operated by the Muckleshoot tribe in Auburn, Washington. Well, the crowd response is the best part of the event, says a sales manager for the TriGuard Pest Control company that holds the race. The kids love us. We enjoy taking pictures with them before and after the race, and it's always enjoyable to hear the adults making bets with each other on which T-Rex will win. Now, these are just, you know, informal, not real bets. Saturday's race marked the third year in a row that the T-Rexes have sprinted as Emerald at Emerald Downs. After a video of last year's event drew the attention of ESPN and lured more than a million viewers online, officials decided to make the race more formal, using the track's starting gate to ensure a fair and equal start. Well, the new sense of propriety uh, was short-lived. After the gates sprang open, two dozen um, theropods sped across the track in a flopping frenzy, their bodies whipping back and forth as the crowd hollered, look how they run with their heads held high. (laughs) Well, they're high, but uh, bobbing uh, rather comically. That's the style of the T-Rex, I guess, heads high. Well, Saturday brought a full field. Um, like few others, to accommodate all of the T-Rexes running, the racers were um, double-stacked into the gate's 12 stalls. So you know how many 
competitors there were. Despite the crowded conditions, a video of the race shows only one T-Rex hitting the dirt as uh, after it struggled to uh, keep up with its um, uh, competitors. I am so disappointed, uh, the uh, T-Rex that fell said later. It all started uh, with TriGuard Pest Control on nearby uh, Renton. Uh, in just a few years, the company says, its annual group outing at the track somehow evolved into a sales rep sprinting down a horse track wearing floppy dinosaur suits. The first year we attended the race in Hawaiian-themed clothes, said yet another manager. The next year we thought it would be uh, pretty funny to come out wearing togas, and Emerald Downs uh, was kind enough to have uh, the race on the track in the togas. Well, the dinosaur racing era began in 2017, and they've never looked back. The third, fourth, and fifth years, they've raced the T-Rexes in their suits on the track, and everyone seems to love it. There's no prize for the uh, race winner, just bragging rights. Without going into a detail, Bennett promised that next year's T-Rex race would be even better, saying the company uh, will find a way to kick it up a notch. Uh, Emerald Downs uh, holds other promotional races, including some of the featured uh, dogs. Um, but if you're picturing sleek greyhounds, that's a little off. Instead, think dash hounds and or dash huns is the right way to uh, say it. And similar breeds for um, uh, last weekend's Wiener Dog Sunday. In the coming weeks, other dogs will have their day. Emerald Downs says 72 corgis uh, will take over the track on the 4th of August. So if you're looking for something fun, you might want to consider that. Well, fans of the seemingly dissimilar hobbies of heavy metal music and knitting came together in Finland for the first official Heavy Metal Knitting World Championships. Heavy Metal Knitting World Championships. I suppose you could argue that knitting needles are quite often made of metal, although sometimes wood. And the uh, guitars played by heavy metal can be made of wood. Sort of. Well, the event Thursday night saw competitors from Finland, the United States, Japan, Denmark, Latvia, Russia, Sweden, and other countries joining heavy metal band Maniac Abductor. You familiar with that, uh, Clark? Maniac Abductor? Hmm. Uh, Anyway, they were joined on stage to simultaneously show off their dance moves and knitting skills. It's even hard to imagine what that might look like. Metal skills, dance moves, and knitting skills. In heavy metal knitting, the knitter becomes part of the band, showing their best needlework tricks as they, the heavy riffs echo in the background. The competition's website says, well, the Japanese competitor known as Giga Body Metal, I have no idea, uh, who was accompanied by a pair of sumo wrestlers, was dubbed the champion at the end of the event. Now, I'm not sure what the champion would look like, what the criterion for judgment might be, but um, knitting, dancing to heavy metal on stage. Just want to make sure that you're careful when you sit down at that venue. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you want to be sober and in your right mind throughout the whole event. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess if you're bored, that's you know one way to put something. Do you together. need a ticket? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you you pay to enter. I have no idea. I don't Can know. Can you if just go to watch, or is it just for? That's all I got. Knitters, okay. Yeah, yeah. I just know that uh, just knitters are invited on stage mm-hmm. for the heavy metal. So maybe we'll have to just go next year, and we'll be able to answer those questions. A new champion rock star was crowned in Michigan at the fifty first annual Stone Skipping Competition. This is a rock star of a different kind. Stone skippers competed on Thursday in amateur and professional categories at the contest at Mackinac Island, uh, which was uh, kicked off by Governor Gretchen Whitmer throwing out the first stone. Uh, Kurt Steiner, who holds the Guinness World Record for stone skipping after throwing a rock that skipped 88 times on the surface of the water. Now, that's impressive was among the professional rock stars to compete. The prize, a grand hotel goblet stuffed with $200, 
went to first-time champion Maxwell Steiner, who managed 20 skips in a single throw. I haven't thrown a stone actually in two years, so just getting back into it and everything, he went on to say, pretty nervous today, so I'm glad it went the right way for me, Mr. Steiner said, speaking to the local media. It's It's amazing to me what people come up with to do for competition, for fun, for fellowship. A stone-skipping competition. Competitors referred to as rock stars. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. We're taking a look at the lighter side of the news. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on this fun Friday afternoon. Well, a British city, an entire city in Britain, broke a Guinness World Record when it gathered 664 people to perform the world's largest simultaneous round of hopscotch. The Sheffield County uh, City Council, I should say, said the attempt part of the Move More Month 2019 fitness initiative saw hundreds of local school children being joined by other residents to break the Guinness record for most amount of people playing hopscotch simultaneously. So it kind of got the whole community thinking about moving more, involved the kids. The council announced on Friday that the May 20th event, and this is just now being reported, by the way, was officially certified by the new record, uh, by as a new record, by the Guinness uh, Book of Records, beating the previous record of 621 people. So they... Uh, they beat the, the old record soundly. 664 was the new, 621 the old. We're absolutely over the moon to officially be holders of a new world record. As a part of a community, Tom Hughes, the Sheffield City Council's Move More project leader, said, there's been so much brilliant work involved from a great team of people, so it's fantastic to see the effort to, this city's, uh, to the city recognized with such positive news. So this is uh, a big deal for Sheffield City Council and the city. Now, uh, Guinness World Record record holders. And a British elementary school said it broke the um, record of 350 people performing the Baby Shark Song and Dance at a school fair. 350 of them singing it over and over and over and over again. The Holy Trinity School at Cookham said a Guinness representative was on hand to observe the attempt at the school's HT. Fest Summer Fair. Officials said 350 people sang the viral song and performed the associated dance moves, surpassing the previous record of 294 people. But the feat still needs to be certified by the record-keeping organization, and that could take weeks. If they confirm that they um, actually broke the record with 350, they're going to have uh, smashed what was um, an old record, says uh, the HT Fest Organizing Committee. An elementary school in Malaysia broke the Guinness World Record when 2,890, or rather 69 students, spent 30 minutes learning to play Baby Shark on the ukulele. So there is that impressive to you as a ukulele player? 2,869 students spent 30 minutes learning to play Baby Shark. I don't know if they actually ultimately were able to play it, but... They learn to play it in 30 minutes. All at once. All at once. Wow. No harmony, just straight (laughs) melody, everybody at once. Well, my guess is with uh, 2,869 people all learning at once, there were harmonies and dissonance and all (laughs) of that. (laughs) So who knows how it actually sounded, but uh, apparently that elementary school broke the Guinness World Record. I don't know how you break a record like that. I mean, who's done this before? Who thinks this up and then has done it and, you know, there's a record to break? Maybe they set the record, but they're saying here that they actually broke. You and I should break a record of some kind. 
Yeah, no. Or maybe we already sound before. like a broken record as it is. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but something to consider. You're a ukulele player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we might be able to work something up. With a couple thousand more friends. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a group of students here in Oregon at a, a college uh, might have broken a Guinness World Record with the creation of a giant piece of chalk that stands more than six feet tall. I don't know if I was a parent and I was paying tuition. Um, how much time did that take? Were you, did you skip class to do this? This was at one of the most prestigious universities, not just or colleges, not just here in our area, but across the country, Reed College. The Reed College students said official Guinness surveyors measured the giant piece of chalk at just over six feet tall, 24 inches wide. And they're waiting to hear whether it officially defeated the previous record holder, a piece of chalk made in Pittsburgh by high schoolers who clearly have a disadvantage. In 2010, that piece of chalk was 5 feet 11 inches, uh, 23 inches wide. The students said that they created the piece by quickly pouring plaster and water into a cylindrical tube because they apparently had nothing else to do. Uh, The group said if the piece of chalk is certified as the record, they will be faced with a new problem, how to get the approximately 1,000-pound item out of the basement where they made it. Uh Oh, my goodness. Well, I guess you could chip away at it and just uh, donate it to schools all over the country. A bunch of 24 red grapes offered up uh, for auction in Japan fetched a pretty high bid of $11,000, making them the most expensive bunch of grapes on record. And this was a relatively small bunch of grapes, 24 single red grapes. Uh, The auctioneer um, said uh, businessman, well, Hasakawa, uh, who owns a chain of hot spring hotels, Uh, was the top bidder for the bunch of Ruby Roman grapes, which hit the market in 2008 and are prized for their high sweet content, low acidity, and juiciness. They must really be sweet, juicy, and uh, with very little acid for $11,000 for 24 of these red grapes. They told reporters, um, the the person who won the bid, he uh, offered the amount, which translates to 1.2 million yen, to celebrate the 12 years since the breed first came to market and to mark the first auction uh, in this location, the new imperial era that began in May with the coronation of Emperor Naruhito. So I guess it was hmm. more ceremoni- ceremonial. Uh, only about 26,000 ruby Roman grapes are expected to be sold this year. Only a select number have been made available to keep demand and exclusivity high. I don't think I'll be purchasing $11,000 a bunch of grapes this year anyway. I bet they're tasty, though. Well, they they have to be to be that expensive. I wasn't quite sure how to bring this story up, uh, so I'm referring to the um, subject in the case as the flatulent fugitive. My daughter would find this hilarious. You'd have to translate, but the flatulent yeah. fugitive apparently was... Um, so loud uh, that the Missouri law enforcement that was uh, looking for him was able to locate his hiding place. Law enforcement in Northland, uh, this is in uh, Missouri, Liberty, Missouri, relied on some basic senses over the weekend to help them track down an alleged criminal. You might want to, you know, probiotics, I don't know, to keep yourself regular if you're going to enter into a life of crime because this could be a problem. A spokesperson for the Clay County Sheriff's Office posted a photo on Facebook of the search and added that while officials were searching the person, the flatulent fugitive Hmm. made an utterance loudly, so loudly. In fact, the sound gave up the suspect's hiding place. We've got to give props to Liberty PD for using their senses to sniff him out, the sheriff's department added. 
According to the Sheriff's Department, the individual was uh, wanted for possession of a controlled substance. It clearly was not um, Maalox or... He might have wanted to consider another substance to have in abundance. Anyway, the case of the flatulent fugitive. Best if you stifle those things if you got the police after you (laughs) in a quiet spot. Yeah, you want to make sure. Mm, Anyway, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, Speaking of um, unpleasant, um, odiferous events, uh, Stewart, Florida residents don't seem to love that chicken at Popeye's, or at least not the smell of it. Now, I don't know about you, but the smell of frying chicken Pretty pleasant, but neighbors of the fast food chain in Martin County, they're complaining to the county about the odor that residents liken to a to heavy grease that lays in the air. Now, you know, when you're frying, you're supposed to change the grease quite frequently so it doesn't have that odor. But, you know, when you're making this much chicken, my guess is they use it a really, really long time. Cheat a little. And they use a lot of it. Well, the restaurant that opened over a year ago in the area received so many complaints about the smell that it had to install an air cleaning system. However, residents have reported it hasn't helped. It's horrible. The smell is that bad. You have to go um, uh, is that bad. You have to go outside or rather inside. Let's get that right. So apparently it's preventing them from enjoying the outdoors. Um, And this is from a resident who lives down the street from the place. Another who uh, lives uh, in the neighborhood and has been there for about 25 years, uh, they said the, uh, the air cleaning system is not being properly maintained and thus it's not helping the fried chicken smell that has permeated the area. The odor, there's no reason for it. He's got the system. He just needs to know how to clean it properly, uh, said another neighbor complaining to local media. Even county commissioners, uh, one of the commissioners said that she could smell the chicken when she went out to meet with the community members about their concern. So the... Um, Community is now calling upon the uh, Popeye's proprietor to figure out how to clean the thing and maintain it, which I'm sure takes money and time, and that's kind of a hassle. But we all have to live together. And as uh, Rodney King once said, couldn't we all just get along? 45 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 51 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Did I mention that uh, Clark Hilton is engineering today's program? James Blend, he's a no-show. He had nerve enough, ladies and gentlemen, nerve enough to take a vacation day. I know, I know I'm as shocked as you are. And then is going to be gone three days next week, going to spend some time with his family, as if we weren't his family, you know, the daughter, the wife. I don't get it, but anyway, that's what he said. Um, Cheetos sandwich. Now, there's Cheetos, and then there's a sandwich. Now, sometimes you might have a Cheeto with your sandwich, but oh, no, not at KFC. They're producing the Cheetos sandwich, and they're proving that orange is the new snack. Okay, I didn't make that up. They actually came up with that themselves. The wait is over for Cheetos fans who want to eat the cheesy snack between two pieces of bread instead of out of a bag. KFC will begin serving a Cheetos sandwich on the 1st of July, so we're a few days into it. The very orange sandwich features a bed of Cheetos on a toasted mayo slathered bun topped with an extra crispy chicken filet and a special Cheetos sauce. There's a Cheetos sauce to go with the Cheetos and the crunchy chicken. Well, KFC has begun airing commercials on the Chester Cheetah Cheetos mascot as Harlan Sanders, KFC founder. This is the first time the chain has used a crossover mascot to portray Sanders, According to the news release, Cheetos are a Frito-Lay product made of puffed cornmeal and cheese. See, it sounds quite healthy, puffed cornmeal, it's corn and cheese. Healthful dairy product, 
and uh, a um, you know a good source of uh, carbohydrates, corn, perverted in such a way that yes. it makes Cheetos. Well, Sanders, known as the Colonel, died in 1980 and has been impersonated by a number of celebrities wearing his distinctive white suit, white hair, and mustache in KFC ads. The Cheetos sandwich will be on the menu for four weeks, so time is limited if you're interested. Uh, but again, Chester Cheeto is uh, Colonel Sanders for the month uh, promoting this particular sandwich. Does that sound good to you? Nope. Yeah, I, I don't get it. For one thing, it would make it really high. And how do you get your, you know, I've just got this little dainty, small little mouth, you know, so it's harder for me to eat a large sandwich of that nature. Um, and it just doesn't sound, I like no. Cheetos. I have to admit, I really like, I was going to say I love Cheetos. I love Dan Rice. I really like me some <laughs> Cheetos. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, but the combination just doesn't do it for me. And then to have a Cheetos sauce, what on earth would be in a Cheetos sauce? I'm guessing it's not just a creamy cheese sauce. It's got to have something else in it to make it, you know, shorten chunks. your lifespan. <laughs> chunks of yeah. Cheetos. Yeah. I don't know. It's I'm like just hollandaise, not... only gross. <laughs> Yeah. They, that, and much more orange. Yeah, they might want to mention that in the ad. Like a gross hollandaise sauce. Mm. <laughs> Chester Cheeto could declare. Well, Mountain Dew is getting a bit of a geography lesson from the Midwest after releasing an ad that featured Michigan's Upper Pennsylvania uh, as being part of Wisconsin. Now, this was highly offensive to Pennsylvanians uh, when a portion of their territory was ceded to Wisconsin. There's no end to the controversy there. The popular soft drink owned by PepsiCo started a campaign marketing bottles uh, for the um, Dunited States. Get it? Dunited States. Mountain Dew. Uh, featuring a map of the nation with each state uh, sporting a different pattern. Well, the fun design, however, sparked anger in the northern states after the upper Pennsylvania of Michigan, or rather the upper peninsula of Michigan. See, I'm already making the same mistake. Was Mm -hmm. colored with the same green and white outline as Wisconsin instead of the red and black of the rest of Michigan. You know, there's really not enough going on to actually be upset about, to be disturbed by. There's, you know, things are just so peaceful and even keel. People are getting along so well that this merits the time and attention uh, that... um, was result that has resulted from uh, Mountain Dew making this geographic area. Uh, well, on Twitter, those in the Upper Pennsylvania call the Mountain Dew or called them out for their oversight. However, there seems to be a happy ending for the forgotten Pennsylvania. Mountain Dew tweeted out an apology, promised to fix the error. The brand even asked for uh, the Upper Pennsylvania to tell them all the things you love about their region as part of the new special edition label. So they are not only apologizing, but they're um, doing a little penance, I guess. The new state-themed labels are part of a campaign launched by Mountain Dew that rewards those who collect all 50 states' bottles with a $100 gift card. The contest will run through the 10th of August of this year. You have to have 50 bottles of Mountain Dew in order to uh, win the prize. And so from your hospital bed, they will deliver the uh, $100 gift card. Because if you drink that much between now and then, you're going to probably... <laughs> have to be hospitalized. Have your uh, kidneys checked. Yeah, absolutely, and everything in between. Well, scientists have found a gigantic freshwater aquifer hidden deep below the ocean. I thought this was very interesting. I'm not sure if there's as much plastic in that as there is the rest of it, but the surprising discovery from a new survey of the sub-seafloor off the northeast U.S. coast by researchers from Columbia University appears to be the largest formation of this type anywhere in the world. It stretched from uh, Massachusetts to New Jersey and extends continuously out about 50 miles to the edge of the continent itself. 
A researcher said that if it was discovered on the surface, it would create a lake covering about 15,000 square miles. We knew there was fresh water down there in isolated places, but we didn't know the extent or geometry, said the lead author, a Ph.D., Chloe Gustafson, candidate at the uh, Columbia University's Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory in a press statement. It could turn out to be an important resource in other parts of the world as well. Well, scientists use measurements to of electromagnetic waves in order to map the water, which is trapped in uh, porous sediments lying beneath the ocean. The water deposits began at around 600 feet below the ocean floor and uh, bottom out at about 12,000, or rather 1,200 feet, according to researchers. And it's believed uh, that they hold at least 670 cubic miles of fresh water. Researchers have a theory about how the water uh, got under the seabed that um, they shared in a press release saying the following. Some 15,000 to 20,000 years ago, toward the end of the last glacial age, much of the world's water was locked up in a mile deep ice. In North America, it extended through uh, what is now northern New Jersey, Long Island and New England coast. Sea levels were much lower, exposing uh, much of what is now the underwater U.S. continental shelf. When the ice melted, sediments formed huge river deltas on top of that shelf and fresh water got trapped uh, in scattered pockets. Later, sea levels rose and the rest, ladies and gentlemen, is newly discovered history. Scientists also said that if the water was to ever be um, processed for consumption, it would need to be desalinated, which is a bit puzzling because it's fresh water. But I guess to get it out from within the salt water, it would become salinated. We probably don't need to do that in this region. But if we can uh, show there are large aquifers in other regions that might potentially represent a resource in places like Southern California, Australia, Mideast of, or Saharan Africa, according to the study's co-authors. So if you just go deep enough, you'll find yourself in fresh water. Speaking of fresh water, this next story is not linked in any way. But if you say, speaking of fresh water, then there's a natural expectation that one story relates to the other. Well, that would be mistaken. But nonetheless, cockroaches are evolving to a point where they're, um, it's going to be nearly impossible to kill them, they're telling us. Now, you might be worried about uh, nuclear fallout. You might be worried about uh, war between the countries. But cockroaches evolving to the point where they uh, are nearly impossible to kill that's something to worry about. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll tell you the horror story that scientists are telling us could soon be possible. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Seven minutes after five o'clock is the time. Just finishing my mid-show snack. A little protein, a little cup of tea. I think I'm ready to go. James Blinn producing today's program from afar. Uh, Clark Hilton engineering today's program from the engineer's chair. You can draw your own conclusions, ladies and gentlemen. Speaking of which, the headline simply read, cockroaches are evolving to a point where they'll be nearly impossible to kill. Now, I, I take great hope in that word nearly, nearly impossible. Well, according to a Purdue University study, they've concluded that the German cockroach, also called the, let's see, Blatella germanica, develops an immunity to new poisons in as, as quickly as one generation of offspring. So you come up with something to eradicate them, they adapt. Cockroaches are being born impervious to bug sprays, and it's happening fast. The Purdue University study found that the commonly found German species of roaches are being born with an immunity to toxins with which they haven't yet been in contact 
The shocking study published on Live Science concluded that the German cockroach, also called the Blatella germanica, develops that immunity to new poisons in as quickly as a generation of offsprings. We didn't have a clue that something like this could happen this fast. This is something out of a horror movie. That's what the co-author Michael Scharf said. I added the horror movie part. Cockroaches developing resistance to multiple classes of insecticides at once will make controlling these pests almost impossible with chemicals alone. The study was conducted in various buildings in central Illinois and Indiana, as well as at Purdue's labs that had uh, roach infestations. It was just that phrase, roach infestation. Infestation alone is a, that's a bad word because you don't know what, you know, precedes it, but roach infestations. Researchers used various combinations of bug sprays and studied several generations of roaches to reach their conclusion. German cockroaches uh, reproduce quickly. They scavenge among uh, areas occupied by people. They're described as in the report as the species that gives all other cockroaches a bad name. Wow. Stopping the super scavengers from spreading bacteria and disease. Again, bacteria and disease. Pestilence uh, in the future will depend on traps and vacuums more than chemicals, the report suggested. I suppose that's a good thing, but controlling a very large population, that's quite a challenge. The female German cockroach can lay Nearly 400 eggs in a lifetime, according to orkin exterminators. They also note that despite having wings, this seemingly um, impervious breed of roach very rarely flies. So they'll always be right there on the ground where you live and walk and play, creeping around, multiplying. Crunch, crunch. Yeah. Yeah, they're not impervious to that, but it's hard to keep up. Wow. Impossible to kill. That would make a great horror movie, don't you think? Yes, it would. It's not like The Blob. Do you remember the the uh, old classic horror movie, The Blob? I never saw it. It's a it's a blob, and it gets larger, but the thing moves at a snail's pace. And it always it was always comical to me because the people who are frightened by the blob they see it at some distance, and they don't really run away from. It. I mean, you could r- outrun the thing if you were walking quickly, and it's slowly make oozing its way over towards you, and. Somehow, the, you know, the chair gets in the way or they run into the table and their arms go up in front of their face and they're screaming and somehow they can't move one side or the other. And it, it reaches them at a snail's pace and consumes them or whatever it, it does uh, when it reaches people. Maybe it electrocutes them. I don't know what it does. but Paralyzed by fear. Paralyzed by fear. But it's the most ridiculous thing because this thing just moves very, very slowly and somehow it always... Uh, gets its prey because they're just frightened by fear. Or, or what was the what phrase that you used? Paralyzed, Paralyzed. by fear. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's it. Doesn't <laughs> make for a very interesting movie, uh, though. Well, Oregon deputies, you might have heard, this is actually from a couple weeks ago, pulled out 57 electric scooters uh, and bikes out of um, the Willamette. I don't know why people do that. I mean, it's annoying to have them when you're driving down the street. You've got to worry about bicycles, some of whom... Observe the rules, probably most, but some who do not. You've got pedestrians, you've got skateboarders, now you have scooters that are added to this mix, and some of those scooters are moving at such a fast pace that they come from behind and overtake you before you realize what's happened. But a sheriff's office recently disclosed it hauled in dozens of these electric scooters and bicycles out of the uh, Willamette River. The county sheriff's office uh, said on Twitter that the department's dive team recovered a total of 57 of uh, scooters and bikes over a two-day period from the Willamette. The team had to um, quit early because they needed a bigger boat to haul in whatever 
uh, numbers are actually there. Officials said the dive team found 15 scooters in May during a training exercise before dredging up dozens more this week or that week. The scooter brands included Razor, Lime and Bird. These are the ones that you can... I guess you rent them uh, on the side of the street. The dive team used the scooter recovery as a training exercise since the river bottom is uh, has limited visibility. So everything has to be found by touch. First of all, they're in the Willamette and that's pretty. Yeah. yeah. And then they have to uh, touch everything to find what's there. Um, as scooter popularity has exploded in recent years, so have environmental concerns over the electric batteries impacting marine life. Uh, So Sergeant Brandon White from the Multnomah uh, Multnomah County Sheriff's Office told the Oregonian officials uh, weren't um, the ones who dumped the scooters, but the divers were worried batteries would leak into the river. And if you've got, you know, large numbers of them, that could be the case. We advise those people not to park scooters in the river. (laughs) One way of putting it. That sounds like government speak. Yeah, right. The recovery mission in the river draws uh, a small crowd along the seawall in downtown Portland, seemingly all curious Uh, about the police activity, which, you know, a lot of times the actual perpetrators uh, return to the scene of the crime to see what law enforcement are doing. So my guess is the very perps were right there watching the whole thing. Um, I guess that's enough to say about it. Many of the scooters appear to be rusted by the uh, um, submersion in the water, but uh, some were still actually working. A Lime spokesperson said that uh, 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 scooters... Well, let's see. Vandalizing scooters is wrong and only harms those who rare who rely on them uh, as vehicles every day as an affordable, convenient way to get around. So, I mean, it's other people's property. It's just wrong to do whether or not you oppose them. It's just a bad idea. Officials in a California city said a sign painted on the road was corrected after it went viral for its having been misspelled. The stop sign was spelled S.T.P.O. Um, the STPO message painted at the four-way intersection at Lincoln and Washington Streets in Lemon Grove drew the attention of baffled drivers who shared photos of the sign on social media. Officials said the typo was the work of contractors doing paving work for the city. Uh, the sign was repainted with the correct spelling shortly after it was uh, put up. Unfortunately, human error has made um, uh, a part of the work the city paid for. Um, a little off the mark. We received one notification from a resident through our online service request form and a lot of media attention. Lemon Grove is pleased. We are able to bring a smile and levity to everyone's day. So there's the the positive side. And I'm guessing they don't have to repay to have it corrected because it was uh, operator error. Speaking of operator error, a flyer tried to travel to new heights as a hilarious video that went somewhat viral uh, demonstrated. We'll tell you about it when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon, making our way through some of the lighter side of the news. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 20 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the flyer tried to travel to new heights as a hilarious video showed her climbing onto the luggage conveyor belt at a Turkish airport, reportedly thinking it would take her, well, to the plane. Well, the first-time flyer checked in her bags at Istanbul Airport, but instead of heading to her terminal, she proceeded to climb onto the conveyor belt as the terminal attendants and other passengers looked on. Well, the woman stepped onto the belt and promptly fell onto her, well, backside as it rolled forward. Confused airport staff jumped up to help her before she ended up in a pile of checked luggage aboard a cargo carrier, but the woman said she thought the conveyor belt would be um, conveniently, uh, or rather would, conveniently transport her to the aircraft, according to reports by The Sun. Well, the viral video garnered lots of jokes from viewers. One person asked, 
Is this a shortcut to the plane? I think traveling with uh, cargo is cheaper. Another one quipped. And I think uh, if, in fact, that were the case, uh, more people might do it. And you probably will have about the same amount of room if you're actually on the plane, seated next to 15 other people, squeezed very closely on either side. Well, a, um, a Dixon, Chicago mom was arrested after she was found driving with an inflatable pool on the top of her car. Now, how unusual is that? She had a pool. It was inflated. She put it on the top of the car. Lots of people travel with things on top of their car. The problem was her kids were, well, they were sitting in it. <laughs> According to the Dixon Police Department, officers were alerted and later observed an Audi Q5 driving west on uh, Illinois Route 2 shortly after 3 p.m., uh, with a blue inflatable inflatable pool on the roof uh, with two juveniles inside the pool. No, there wasn't water in the pool. They were just in it. Mm. Well, officers made contact with the driver, the 49-year-old mom, uh, who said she and her daughters um, ride inside the empty pool to hold it down on her drive home. They sort of wait the pool. The police learned that she drove into town to inflate the pool at a friend's house. She was arrested and charged with two counts of endangering the health or life of a child and two counts of reckless conduct. Police said she was also cited for failure to secure a passenger of um, uh, at the age of eight uh, and under the age of 16. She was transported to the Dixon Police Department where she was processed and released after posting bond. Apparently, this is a very serious thing. This is a pretty big pool. It um, it's large enough that it uh, you can see it from the driver's seat. It overhangs in the front, mm. uh, probably by about a foot, and in the back, um, maybe overhangs by, I would say, maybe two feet. So it's a very big pool, and the kids are sitting in it. I don't see any um, anything securing it to the vehicle. That's the other thing. I don't see any ropes or <laughs> um, anything that uh, ties it down. Held I guess. down by the weight of the children on <laughs> Held top. Held down by the weight of the uh, uh, the children. Which explains probably uh, why she was cited with such serious charges. Wow. Well, here's one for those of you who want to be healthy, live a long and and a healthy life. Our disgraceful sedentary lives are finally getting a break. It turns out that sitting all day, often labeled as bad as smoking, isn't as bad uh, for you if you're at your desk working. Oh, it's bad for you, but not as bad. Couch potatoes, on the other hand, the real health that detriments come from sitting in front of the TV, according to a new study published in the Journal of the American Heart Association. Now, I'm not sure how your backside can tell the difference between sitting at a desk and sitting on a couch watching television, but apparently there is a difference. The researchers from Columbia University found that television viewing is associated with more cardiovascular events and mortality compared to sitting at a desk, which uh, had also um, been uh, we've been warned against, but had no association with those outcomes. Even if you have a job that requires you to sit for long periods of time, like ours does, replacing the time you spend sitting at home with strenuous exercise could reduce your risk of heart disease and death, the study's author says. How you spend your time outside of work may matter more when it comes to health, um, heart health. A professor of behavioral medicine at Columbia University Points out the study looked at about 3,500 participants and compared their behavior and health over about eight years. Previous studies that have maligned sitting haven't been as thorough when it comes to uh, the study's length and distinguishing between the types of sedentary activity a person does. Now, I'm not sure how this applies to me because I sit at a desk doing my work, but I also, just to my right, have a television that's on all the time and a news station 
So does that mean I'm much less healthy for having the television on while I'm at work? Well, they found that people who watched four or more hours of television a day had a 50% greater risk of cardiovascular events and death compared to those who watched it less than two hours a day. So catching up on a couple uh, episodes of um, your favorite television program isn't the worst thing that you can do. But you're not totally cleared to uh, be a desk slave either. Doctors still warn that prolonged sitting can lead to hip problems, bad posture, weakened muscles, leading to an uneven gait and other issues. Wow. That's what we have to look forward to. Newsrooms aren't in good shape. We need uh, good chairs, I guess, to help Mm. us. The good news is that even if you are a TV sloth from time to time, the adverse health effects can be offset by regular exercise, the study uh, found. So if you're destined to sit in a chair either at work or spend a lot of time watching television from a chair, exercise can mitigate that somewhat. The difference probably has something to do with all the breaks uh, we're forced to uh, to take at work. It may be that most people tend to watch television for hours without moving while most workers get up from their desk frequently. The combination of eating a large meal, such as dinner, and then sitting for hours could also be particularly harmful. I don't know. Do you get up quite often from your desk through the course of the day? Usually, yeah. yeah. I don't know that I get up all that often. I know the law requires that you have a certain number of measured breaks and lunch hour and all of that. It doesn't really work here. So I just want to take this opportunity now before I break a hip uh, or, you know, I have a heart episode to tell you that it's been a real joy working together. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I may or may not be here tomorrow because I plan on watching a little bit of TV. So we'll, <laughs> we'll just see what happens. Well, talk about being left hanging or left hanging out to dry. Some residents in upstate New York say a utility company ignored them for two weeks after they reportedly saw a dead squirrel dangling above them from a utility wire. A moment of silence for the squirrel. The squirrel had apparently gotten electrocuted while nibbling on the wires. Bad idea. That'll do it. uh, That's even worse than sitting at your desk or sitting watching TV for long periods of time. The squirrel had apparently gotten electrocuted under... Uh, Those circumstances, frustrated and unresponsive from the utility national grid, uh, some of the residents of Syracuse, the neighborhood, began posting photos of the dead squirrel every day on social media. One neighbor posted photos on Twitter while another posted on Facebook. They even named the squirrel Freddie uh, after the 1972 Curtis Mayfield song, Freddie's Dead. (laughs) You wouldn't remember that, but I do. National Grid eventually removed the squirrel. That was on Monday night after receiving an inquiry from Syracuse.com, the website reported. Neighbors in the area are hoping for um, no more problems involving local wildlife. A spokeswoman for the utility said the company normally doesn't remove items from the wires unless they pose a threat to... uh, the electrical service, but in this case, they were concerned that neighbors might try to remove the squirrel themselves. So I suppose if they had just said in the first place, uh, the neighbor down the street's got his ladder up, we're about to remove the squirrel, they might have rushed out and done it right then. But um, apparently they apparently they eventually uh, removed the squirrel. And that just would just be unpleasant. I don't know if you've ever had roadkill near your home or someplace that you frequent, and it's just so unpleasant to see a whole animal. And it's just you want somebody to do something about it, but you're not quite sure who and under what circumstances. Anyway, it worked for them. An Indian man who had uh, been declared dead woke up just before he was set to be buried during a funeral ceremony. I'll tell you more about that. Um, By the way, he was only 20 years old. That would be something of a a shocking event. Woke up at his own funeral. Hmm. Quick break. We'll be back. 
with the rest of that story. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 37 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, an Indian man who had been declared dead woke up just before he was set to be buried during a funeral ceremony. Pretty good timing. The 20-year-old was declared dead by Indian medical professionals, but his surprise awakening at the funeral in the northern Indian city of Lucknow shocked mourners. He was immediately brought to the hospital, put on a ventilator to support him, according to The Independent. Well, he had been unconscious since the 21st of June when he got into a car accident. Well, doctors declared him dead on Monday, but coincidentally, only after the man's family told the hospital um, that Uh, looked after him that they no longer had the funds to pay for his care. He was declared dead immediately following. The family told the Hindustan Times that the situation left them traumatized because they not only had to come to terms with his passing, but then to see him move during the memorial service. Devastated, we were preparing for the burial when some of us saw movement in his limbs. We immediately took him to the hospital where the doctor said he was alive and put him back on a ventilator. I'm not sure what's happening because... Um, they didn't have money to continue his care before he was declared dead. We had paid um, the equivalent of $10,000 to the private hospital earlier. And when we told them that uh, we had run out of money, they declared him dead. Well, the city's chief medical officer also told the outlet that an investigation is underway into the country's medical practices. We've taken um, a cognizance of the incidents and the matter will be thoroughly probed uh, the Outlet said the patient is in critical condition, but definitely not brain dead. He has a pulse, blood pressure, reflexes are working. He's been put on a ventilator for support. So, so uh, do no harm unless it's financially reasonable. Yeah, yeah, apparently so. And then there's this. A mortuary driver who was riding in a Las Vegas carpool lane on Monday asked the highway patrol trooper who pulled him over if the corpse he had in the back of the van counted as a passenger. Well, the bizarre traffic stop happened after a Nevada Highway Patrol officer uh, noticed the driver of the hearse on Interstate 15 in, in Las Vegas to be riding, well, alone. The driver, whose identity wasn't released, asked the trooper whether the body he was carrying in the back qualified as a person. He doesn't count, the driver reportedly asked, referring the, uh, to the, the uh, corpse he was transporting. Yes, it's a person, uh, but they're not in a seat and they're not living and breathing, the trooper reportedly said. This body was in the rear cargo and that doesn't qualify as a seat. So if you ever find yourself in that situation, you'll know not to drive the hearse in the uh, HOV lane. The trooper but don't let, pull the body out and put it in the seat either. That's the, that's the other thing. thing the uh, trooper let the driver off with a warning and advised him to move out of the uh, the lane. The traffic stop came and in, amid increased enforcement of carpool lane violations. The Nevada Highway Patrol later issued a warning that passengers must be living, breathing people in order to be counted as occupants in cars using the high-occupancy vehicle lane, hence HOV, high-occupancy vehicle. Well, I can see how he could misunderstand. I mean, there was more than one person in the vehicle. I think vehicle. he was trying to be creative, and he got lucky that he didn't get a ticket. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, MIT has a new robot that can identify things by sight and touch, not that a machine can particularly see or feel. Touchy-feely robots could be the future, however. For humans, it's easy to predict how an object will feel by looking at it or tell what an object looks like by touching it. But this can be a big challenge for machines. Now a new robot that's been deployed by MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory is attempting to do just that. The team took a um, robot arm and added a tactile sensor uh, called GelSight that was created um, 
to do just that. The information collected by GelSite was then fed into an AI system so that it could learn the relationship between visual and tactile information. To teach the AI how to identify objects by touch, the team recorded 12,000 videos of 200 objects like fabrics, tools, household objects being touched. The videos were broken down into still images, and the AI used this database to connect tactile and visit, uh, visual data. Uh, what's the movie that was out a few years ago? Um, I don't think it was just iRobot. I was thinking AI, but iRobot. We're getting closer to that possibility. I mean, that's quite dramatic, but nonetheless, seeing and touching as only a machine can. Well, the next resupply mission to the International Space Station is going to contain sophisticated organs on chips designed to provide valuable scientific data for future human spaceflight and diseases on Earth. So you're not taking a whole intact body, but you're taking organs on chips. On uh, around 100 chips will be carried to the ISS containing living human cells designed to replicate the function of key organs. Uh, The mission, SpaceX's 17th resupply mission to the orbiting space lab, launched from Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. An unmanned SpaceX Dragon capsule will carry the cargo to the ISS International Space Station. The launch was originally scheduled um, um, back in April, then again in May. Uh, at the earliest, the tissue chips in space project um, involves the uh, National Institutes of Health National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences and the International Space Station U.S. National Lab. Uh, the deputy chief scientist for all of this says that the chips give scientists an opportunity to monitor the cells in microgravity. It's a very useful model for us here on Earth. The National Institutes of Health is interested in that to combat disease, NASA is interested as in research into long-duration space missions because they fully intend and believe at some point there will be long-term space missions into deep space. And then it turns out um, the key to making things lighter than air is light. California scientists think that they found a way to make objects levitate using concentrated light a theory that could even propel spacecraft further than they've uh, ever traveled before. Researchers at the California Institute of Technology believe that by covering the surface of objects with microscopic nanoscale patterns uh, specifically designed to interact with beams of light, they could be propelled without fuel and potentially by light sources millions of miles away. The findings first detailed in an online science journal, Nature Phonetics, already have scientists salivating over the potentially out-of-this-world applications. One could uh, be the development of a spacecraft that could reach the nearest planet outside our solar system in just 20 years. By contrast, it took the Voyager space probe some 26 years to leave our own solar system. So this has some real capacity as well. Levitation by virtue of light. And scientists have built the world's first time machine. Well, sort of working with electrons in a bizarre realm of quantum mechanics. They first created the equivalent of a a break for a game of pool. The balls scattered and according to the laws of physics should have appeared to split in a haphazard way. But researchers managed to make them reform in their original order, looking as if they were turning back time. Well, lead researcher Dr. Gordy Lezovic of Moscow Laboratory of the Physics of Quantum Information at the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology said, we have artificially created a state that evolves in a direction opposite to that of the thermodynamic arrow of time. Well, his team used a rudimentary quantum computer, which carries information on subatomic particles, and he hopes their findings in uh, journal scientific reports will help improve processing power 
So how does it work? Well, the time machine is actually a rudimentary quantum computer made up of uh, electron qubits. A qubit is a, uh, that's with a T at the end, qubit is the basic unit of quantum information, a unit that represents one, zero, and both one and zero at the same time. They ran an, what they call an evolution program, which caused the qubits to enter a complicated change pattern of ones and zeros. And during the process, the order was lost, like hitting balls at the start of the game of pool. A separate program then modified the state of this quantum computer so that it evolved backwards, returning from chaos to order. And one can only imagine the applications for something like that. Well, before many new innovations is a source of disruption. Before television, stories were told over the airwaves of terrestrial radio. And prior to the Internet, people gathered at the local movie theater uh, to catch the latest in entertainment. Well, fast forward to today, just how television's emergence in the early 1950s ended up surprising radio as the medium of choice for consumers. Hollywood is facing a digital revolution of its own that's reshaping the way people choose their content. It's not just enough to put a movie on a screen and expect people to go. You have to give people a reason to have a night out. Uh, The editorial director of Box Office Pro says, well, at this year's Cinecom in Las Vegas, companies, a variety of companies, underscored the importance of creating an experience for the viewer, showcasing their MX4D technology that makes moviegoers feel like they're actually in the film. Now, there are some films I don't want to actually be in. I'm perfectly content watching, but the full motion cinema chairs do everything from squirt water to blow wind in your face to tickle your legs, coupled with a new, um, they're calling haptics vest that was uh, debuted for the first time to exhibitors that week to add another layer of immersion. You're not only watching the movie and getting all the great 4D effects, now you've um, got all these other sensors as well, they say. So you're getting the bullet shot into your chest Gee, that sounds like fun. You're getting the vibration of the motorcycle going through the whole body. You're getting everything right into you. And although movie attendance had a record year in 2018, surpassing 1.3 billion tickets sold, according to the data from the National Association of Theater Owners, the broader picture still paints an industry in flux as digital streaming giants like Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon keep growing. So in future, you'll not only see the movie, you'll apparently have the opportunity to feel the movie. I think I'll probably just stay home. 47 minutes after five o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 52 minutes after five o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Comcast has launched a feature enabling viewers with physical disabilities like spinal cord injuries or um, uh, ALS to the ability to navigate their television using only their eyes. Now, this is fascinating. If you are struggling with the use of your limbs or have no use, Xfinity X1 Eye Control is a web-based remote for tablets and computers that uh, pairs with an existing eye gaze system, and it allows viewers with a single glance to change the channel, access the DVR, or search for programs. Uh, The service is free. It addresses a sizable population of TV viewers. According to uh, Comcast, more than 48 million people in the U.S. have physical or mobility disabilities. And every day, about 15 people are newly diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Changing the channel on a TV is sometimes... 
something most of us take for granted. But until now, it was near impossible for millions of viewers. So Comcast's vice president of accessibility says that when you make a product more inclusive, you create a better experience for everyone. And we're hoping that the new X1 feature makes a real difference in the lives of our customers. The eye control uses a web page remote uh, control that works seamlessly with existing eye gaze hardware and software, sip and puff switches and other assistant technology. And after customers pair the web-based remote with their set-top box, each time they gaze at a button, the web-based remote sends the corresponding command to the TV. It's just fascinating what technology is uh, permitting people to do. If you've ever been uh, mad at the sun for getting sunburned, um, you're in pretty good company because the moon also gets sunburned. The NASA Artemis mission has revealed that solar wind greatly impacts the lunar surface and exposes it to radiation from the sun, leaving scars on the surface due to the moon's weak magnetic field. Well, the magnetic field in some regions is locally acting as the magnetic sunscreen. One scientist from the University of California, Berkeley, said in a statement, well, the government space agency notes that unlike our planet, the moon doesn't have a singular global magnetic field. Instead, it has magnetized rocks that create small localized spots of magnetic field. They can create barriers of varying distances. But described as a magnetic sunscreen, NASA said that these small barriers can deflect some of the particles from the solar winds, leaving light-colored swirls in the area, darker areas in the spots that are not covered. These darker spots are caused by chemical reactions with the uh, with the surface, which is the layer of dust and broken rock covered Uh, covering the lunar rock, and they have become so prominent over the years that they can be seen from Earth. So what you're seeing is the result of sunburn, the sun producing on the moon. So next time you get a little sunburn, I've never had that problem, you might, uh, on your vacation, laying out in the sun, by the pool, whatever you do, don't feel bad. Our celestial neighbor gets that too. It's also a reminder to bring your sunscreen. I always try to advise my fairer complected friends. Taking a look at next week on the program on Monday, we're going to talk with Zach Elliott. He served as a pastor here in the metro area for a number of years. He's now uh, serving in a different capacity across the country, but he's the author of Now I See, an invitation to life to the full. Has a fascinating story. He is now ministering to pastors. After being uh, offered an opportunity to pastor, he felt God was calling him to minister to those who are in that position and will give him an opportunity to tell his story and to talk about his uh, book, Now I See. On Tuesday, we'll talk with Steve Brown. His book is titled Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. I would add to that obnoxious, unbearable. Anyway, Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. On Wednesday, uh, we'll talk with Lois Anderson. With uh, She's the executive director of Oregon Right to Life. She's going to bring a legislative wrap-up. Uh, what to expect and what's to come. Of course, what passes in the legislature, and we had concern about some life issues there. They weren't related to uh, abortion. They were end-of-life decisions and uh, what can be done in what period of time and by whom were some of the subjects. We're going to give her an opportunity to bring us up to date on the final status of those areas of concern uh, and uh, what we might expect and anticipate as a consequence, as well as um, some of the uh, things that we need to be aware of moving into this uh, this next year. On Thursday, we'll talk with a local Ph.D. candidate, Lysandra Barnes. She's been a speaker at the Ignite Conference, which is a women's conference sponsored by Western Seminary, and she is just finishing up her Ph.D. Uh, she's going to talk with us about her book. She has a 
uh, a story from tragedy to, uh, well, I, I think uh, being productive, being uh, having a great ministry opportunity. It's just a, a wonderful story of what God can do in the life of someone when they embrace him and accept what he says about them. Uh, Lysandra Barnes will join us on Thursday. Her book is titled Rejected to Accepted, Learning to Love Myself After Adversity. And she has faced some significant challenges that you might relate to. And then on Friday, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. So we'll follow our uh, same pattern. Of course, if there is breaking news, we'll certainly provide that for you, even on Friday, to keep you up to date to what's going on. We talked earlier in the program that sedentary uh, activity, if that's not a contradiction in terms, can be really bad for your health. Uh, so I thought I'd mention that the Winter Games for 2026, maybe you want to train and you know see if you can qualify, uh, are set to return to Italy. We've learned just recently the International Olympic Committee uh, voted to hold the 2026 Winter Olympic Games in Milan um, and uh, another place in Cortina di Ampeza in uh, Italy. Italy won the bid over Stockholm, of uh, Sweden, uh, host of the Winter Games uh, as host. Uh, it'll be the first time the Games will be held in Italy since uh, the Turin Games in 2006. Uh, the ski town in northern Italy hosted the Olympic Games in 1956, so it's been quite some time. Sweden has never hosted the Winter Games, but Stockholm was the host of the 1912 Summer Games. So that might get you a little incentive to get out and move just a bit. Maybe not the Winter Games, but, you know, you get the idea. I want to thank um, Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great weekend. We'll be back here on Monday, right about 4 o'clock. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.